Um, yeah. So tonight, um, we're talking about the ninth out of the tenth commandment, which means you guys are almost done with school because we're almost done with the commandments. That's so crazy. Woo. Seniors, you're about to graduate. But the ninth commandment is do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And I don't know if we've talked about this at all this semester, but not only is this commandment found in Exodus 20, but these commandments are also found in Deuteronomy. And as I was looking up and studying the scripture, I realized that the, the Hebrew meaning of, um, of do not bear false witness was a little bit different in the Deuteronomy text and the Exodus text. Exodus um, was referring more to being untrue and lying, where the Deuteronomy one talked more about frivolous words, empty words, kind of being fake. So um, as we actually look at what this text means when it says to bear a witness to, to um, bear testimony with our actions or with our words, it's saying we're not supposed to be fake or lie to our neighbor. Um, who's our neighbor? Uh, Jesus answers this very question from a lawyer um, in John 10 where this guy asks, who is my neighbor? And he gives him the parable of the Good Samaritan, basically come to the conclusion that his neighbor is friend, enemy, anyone. So um, in our words, this text we're looking at is, do not lie, do not be fake, do not give empty words to anyone through your words or through your actions. I, th- I think for me, and I think for most people, I think this commandment is the one that we most easily say, yeah, I break that one a lot. I, I lie. Um, I think that's an easy one for us to admit to because I don't think we quite understand the gravity of what lying does and why it is so disliked. All throughout Scripture, um, God talks about how he hates lying. Um, in Proverbs um, 6.16, he says, these six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord amongst his brothers. God hates lies. He's not saying he hates us. Um, That's another thing we've been trying to communicate all semester is that God gives us these commandments out of a relationship with us. He's telling us these things because he loves us and he wants us to live in his grace. But he's saying very clearly here that he does not like it when we lie. So why, why do we do it then? Tonight we're going to be talking about why we so easily fall into this trap of lying and what, what reasons we use to justify our lies and how it hurts ourselves and hurts others. So our easy answer to why we lie is Satan. Um, all throughout scripture, every time Satan speaks, he is speaking in a lie. From the very beginning, from the fall, he lies to Adam and Eve, telling them that they're going to be like God if they eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. You want to put John 8 up there? Um, Jesus, when he's talking to this group of um, Pharisees, he, he says this to them. He says, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. 
You belong to the father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding on to truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when we lie, we are participating, we are speaking the same language as Satan. And Jesus says in John 14 that he is the truth, and so we are actually doing the opposite of him in the midst of that. And why is this technique of lying so powerful? Well, when we lie, we also, like Adam and Eve, believe that we are like God. We lie to cover up our sin, to pretend like we didn't actually do anything wrong. We lie when we don't trust God, and so we lie to create a falseness about us. When we don't trust God, we are also sinning. So we lie to cover up our sin. But what do we sing about tonight? The only thing that covers up our sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. The only atoning sacrifice for our sin is him. So when we lie to cover up sin, we are trying to be like God. And we lie to create ourselves. We lie to manipulate things. We lie to put ourselves in the place of God. And so no wonder it's one of the Ten Commandments. No wonder he's saying he hates lies. So the devil tries to trap us. He tries to trick us. He tries to manipulate words and all of that to get us to lie as well. So what I want to do tonight is we're going to go through a passage and we're going to look at pretty simple ways that we try to justify the reasons we lie so that we can protect ourselves against these traps that the devil is going to put up and try to trick us into. And we're going to do this by looking at a passage in Genesis 20 on the story of Abraham and Sarah. And we're going to enter into the story after God has already told them he is going to um, give them a son who is going to be a, whose Jesus is going to be his descendant, and he's going to have um, as many like generations and as many um, kids as there are stars in the sky, but they're really old, and so they were kind of having trouble believing it. And so we enter the story um, as they're traveling. So you can put up Genesis 20. Thanks. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shore. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Then Amibelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Amibelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. And Amibelech had, gone, had not even gone near her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did you not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return to the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. 
Early the next morning, Amimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them what had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Amimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not have been done. And Amimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There's surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. His wife was really beautiful, so that's why he said that. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and then she became my wife. And when God had wandered from and when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show me your love. Everywhere we go, say of me, He is my brother. Then Amimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave him to gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah his wife to him. And Amimelech said, "My land is before you. Live wherever you'd like." To Sarah he said, "I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all of you, for you are completely vindicated." Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Amimelech, his wife, and his slave girls, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every woman in Amimelech's household because of Abraham's wife Sarah. Every time I like read stories like that, I'm like, these people are crazy. Um, and then I think about it, and I'm like, that's me. And so then I'm crazy too. So we'll just deal with it. Um, he. I've picked out five different ways that Abraham justifies the fact that he lied about his wife.、Um, first way, through judgment. Second, through just not wanting to confront an issue, kind of wanting to coast on through. Third, he lies. It feels like he can lie because he wants to manipulate and manage and control the situation.、Um, he also wants to protect himself, so he thinks he can lie, and he wants to protect his wife. So, first one. Judgment. He judges these people of Gerar, saying, "Well, I didn't think they were God-fearing people, so he put this assumption on them and said, 'Well, I have to lie now because they're probably going to kill me because if they don't fear God.' And we justify our lies by judging all the time. How often have any of you said, 'Well, I don't want to tell my core group leader that I don't like the study because she's just going to be like really upset if I tell her.'" Or I don't want to tell my friend that we're.、Um, I don't want to go on this trip with her because she's gonna not like me if I, if I say that. I've had so many people tell me, "Well, Kirsten, I just lied to you because I assumed you'd be mad if I actually told you the truth," which hurts my feelings because then I think, "Oh my gosh, am I this horrible person that would really dislike your truth to me?" When that's not true at all, that I would actually be joyful if they told me the truth. So we justify our lies because we judge, but when we judge, we don't judge off of truth. We're judging off of lies, so it's not working anyways. Second way he lies is through、um, because he wants to just kind of take the easy way in. He wants to make it kind of just friendly and nice, and not really confront any problems. Um, this one was funny to me because I was talking to my roommate, and、um, I'm from Seattle. lived here for five years, but、um, I still don't really know. I guess the Southern culture totally, but 
um, we were talking and talking about this passage, and she's like, "Oh yeah, this one's a hard one for us Southerners." I was like, "Okay." She's like, "We like to keep things pretty." I'm like, "Okay, keep going." Um, she ends up giving me this book called "Foreign to Familiar," which I had read when I went to the Dominican in college, and it's talking about how we have hot climate and cold climate people. Cold climate, Seattle North. Hot climate, this way of the、um, equator. South as well, southern,、um, <laughs> down.、Um, so, anyways, hot climate people are all about the friendliness. This book said that it's not about truth in a relationship, but it's more about maintaining that relationship. Where cold climate people, when you ask them a question, it's about the accuracy of it, not so much the feelings. Because what does an answer to a question have to do with people's feelings? So, if let's say Jason, for instance, was to get a haircut and it was like a mullet or something, and it was really ugly, <laughs> um, probably the majority of you in here would be like, "Oh yeah, it's nice," because you want to keep this this mentality of friendliness. Whereas somebody else from Seattle would be like, "Jason, your hair looks better with the the gel look, not with the mullet." Because it—that's just the way of life. Same sort of deal with direct and indirect confrontation. I realized how why people did not take my advice of, okay, if your roommate's leaving dishes in the sink, just tell them that it bothers you. But that's something that's really hard because that means confrontation and that means breaking this niceness. And I'm not saying at all that we're better in the north because. I need to learn tact a lot、um, in my conversations, but can you imagine what what it would be like if Abraham would have not just tried to take the easy way out and try to be friendly, or if we were able to be honest? I mean, there'd be a lot of better haircuts in this world, probably,、um, but there also would be deeper relationships because you weren't so bitter about somebody leaving dishes in the sink, so you gossiped about it because you had to get it out. Or you'd be able to tell somebody what was really going on. So I think lies to maintain relationships often keep us from actually having depth of relationships. The third way that we watch him lie is that he manipulates and he tries to manage what is going on in the situation. So he thinks it's okay to lie so he can have control.、Um, he straight up. Manipulates his wife and says, "If you love me, you will lie." He equates love to lying, which is a, a lie in itself. He tries to manage the situation and say, "Okay, you're going to pretend to be to be my sister, and then we'll be married, and then we'll be free." And then he makes this whole plan up in his head. And we do this. And girls, I know manipulation is something that we for sure know how to do. Well, if that is manipulating a guy to like us,、um, if that is in the midst of an eating disorder, manipulating the schedule of your meal so people don't know that you haven't eaten, if it's managing managing the time around us and the schedule and everything, we want to hold on to this. We want these answers, these questions answered, so we figure it all out for ourselves. But in the process of that, we go the opposite way. That God is telling us to go. 
The next thing that Abraham justifies his lie with is to protect himself. And Abraham's protecting himself physically. He's scared he's going to die, which is, you know, understandable. But the way we justify our lie is to protect ourselves emotionally. We don't want to be rejected. We want to put on this image, this false image that we look good, that we have it all together. We want to look really spiritual. And the crazy part about that is we're all in this kind of cave of trying to make ourselves look really good and we're crying out on the inside being like, I want to talk to somebody about this. But everyone else has it all together so I don't have anybody to talk to you. And then we read in 1 John 1, and it says, If any of you claim to be without sin, that means even acting to be without sin, then you are calling God a liar. And there's no room for his word in your heart. There's a great example of um, trying to be spiritual when we're not, and found in Acts 5, um, a couple named Ananias and Sapphira come into Peter's church Um, individually and say hey we have sold all of our property and here is all of the money for you and Peter looks at them and says no because they actually only gave part of their money to the church and and Peter says you are trying to lie to the Holy Spirit can't do that and they both drop down dead (laughs) I'm serious crazy stories in this Bible Um, but They didn't die because they didn't give enough. They died because they straight up lied about who they weren't. We think we can lie to the Holy Spirit. We can't trick him. The Psalms say, Lord, you have searched me and you know my heart. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know the words that come out of my mouth before I even speak them. We're not able to trick him. And then what we try to do is we, we try to create ourselves. We, we step into this I'm God thing again and say, okay, you didn't create me. I, I don't like who I am, so I'm going to try to create me. Instead of saying, Father, you are the clay. I'm the clay. You are the potter. Mold me. We say, well, I'm going to mold myself because I don't want to be rejected by anybody else, and I want to fit into this category. So we do everything we can to fake our lives, to lie about who we are, so we fit in. I heard a sermon a couple weeks ago, I guess, and it really kind of scared me because they were saying oftentimes we get addicted to this um, desire to have affirmation in our life, to try to fit in with other people. And when we are addicted to this, when we are trying to fit in, our lives are never going to go above, like, mediocre, because we'll never be willing to step out and to step into being ourselves because we'll be so concerned with trying to fit in and trying to fake it and lie about who we are. This for me has been something forever that I've struggled with is people-pleasing, um, trying to get people to like me and, and stepping out of that a little bit which has been really freeing, but I've noticed that the way I've kind of transferred that is I lie to myself a lot. Um, I've convinced myself that I'm somebody I'm not, that I'm capable of doing everything. And then when I lie to myself and think I'm capable of doing everything, I begin to fail myself because there's no way 
I'm, I'm not that person, so I'm failing this fake person inside of me. And, and then I'm communicating this to other people. I'm like, yeah, I can help you with that. I can do that. And then I, I don't, and I've straight up lied to you saying I'd be there, and I, I haven't. I, <laughs> I even lied to myself to the extent where I think I've had a stress fracture in my foot since May, and I am not admitting to it and just dealing with it because I don't want to admit that, that there's a problem. I even realized I was at counseling a couple weeks ago and I realized that I have even lied about reasons why um, I didn't make it big um, with ballet. I've always told myself and told other people I didn't make it because I wasn't skinny enough. And I've realized that I didn't make it because I wasn't good enough. Um, I know it sounds weird, but, but being able for me to actually step into that reality and be like, okay, I wasn't supposed to do that. I'm now able to really be grateful for where I'm at because if I was in New York, I wouldn't be here right now. And I wouldn't have the friends I do and I wouldn't have been so changed in these past five years that I have been. So until I was willing to admit the truth of what was going on, I, I wasn't able to be grateful. Um, this Saturday is my little brother's wedding and I know it's going to be really hard for me to step into this reality of who I am and not try to be somebody I'm not, try, not try to fake um, an image, put on an outfit, talk about how something I'm not, lie about who I am to try to impress people. When we lie about who we are, we do that because we think it's going to make people like us, it's going to make us a better us. But in fact, what it does is it lets us not be the best us we are. The last thing Abraham does is he tries to protect his wife. He justifies his lies to protect somebody else. Sounds really great. But when we actually read this story, I can't imagine that Sarah felt protected at all. His, her husband was like, okay, go, you have a new husband now. She had to feel so alone and scared in the midst of all that, I would not feel protected in any sort of way. And then, this part is so fun, um, right after this, the chapter after this, um, Sarah ends up getting pregnant and giving birth to Isaac. Okay, so what if Abraham's plan had gone on the whole time? What if she would have married a Mibelike, they would have slept together, and then she would have gotten pregnant? we wouldn't have known whose son Isaac was. And there's no Jerry Springer, there's no DNA back in the day testing. So, but can you imagine, he tried to change it up. He tried to take control of this and lie about it, but God's saying, no, trust me, I have a bigger plan. And through all of this, through all of these failures, the craziest part is that we can go back to Genesis 12 and read that Abraham and Sarah did the exact same thing back there just with a pharaoh in Egypt. And that their son, Isaac, and his wife, Rebecca, did the same thing years to come. Because lying is addicting. Because it becomes such a second nature to us. And that's why we have to step out of it. 
It doesn't matter if we are giving half-truths like Abraham, where he was like, well, she is my sister, but that's not what really was going on. Or if we straight up lie. Or if we exaggerate negatively about somebody else. Or we really do bear false witness against our neighbor. We've talked about this before, but when we do that, we take worth from that person in order to give ourselves more worth. It'd be like if I was telling you this story of yesterday I was printing off um, stuff at the Hub and I accidentally pressed print twice and all these papers were coming out and David Burke, who's usually up here, was sitting there and he was just being so... He didn't even do it without laughing. He was being mean to me. Uh, not good at this game. Um, if I told you that he was, got all upset at me and was getting mad that I had wasted all this money on paper and was just going off at me, Okay, that didn't happen. Obviously, David is one of the most affirming people I know, and we were joking around about it, but he has no ability to defend himself if I say that, but I've immediately taken worth from him to make myself feel better because I wasted some paper. And I know we do that. You talk about your professors like that all the time, how mean your professor was, how horrible he was with that grade and what he said to you. And you know you're exaggerating. You're taking worth from him. We do this when we gossip about people as well. The words we say can be so hurtful. Even when we say words that we don't mean, when we lie about them, people take them as truth. I am still, after years of hearing lies from a family member of mine, I'm still trying to figure out what is truth and what is a lie. Because when, when people lie to us, we get sucked into this false reality. We don't know what is truth. This happens a lot in relationships. Um, this week, I talked to two girls who both said that they had been told by a guy that they were the one and then he broke up with them, cheated on them. And they were like, okay, well, I've been living however many years believing this to be truth. What do I do? And now they're in these new relationships, and like, how do I believe that what this guy is saying is real? I've experienced people lying to me. I had a friend that I found out recently had a huge lie that she was telling me. And what I did immediately was start building up these walls because I didn't know how to handle her. I just wanted to detach. Even though I'd forgiven her, I just didn't know what truth was. It's a, oh, it's a scary situation to be in. There, the best definition I could think of or say for it was this um, verse in Jeremiah 9. It says, friends deceive friends, and no one speaks truth. They have taught tongues to lie. They weary themselves with sinning. You live in the midst of deception. In their deceit, they refuse to acknowledge me, declares the Lord. But just truly how weary it is to live in the midst of deception. And then I had a friend call me um, a couple days ago, and she knew I was speaking on this. She was like, I have this great passage for you from this book, um, 10 or 12 Ordinary Men, about um, the disciples and in this section she was reading to me was about Judas, the one that ended up turning Jesus in and um, having him be crucified. And it said that Judas was able to deceive 
all other 11 of the disciples. He was able to put them in this reality of deceit where they believed that he was just like them and following Jesus just like they were. But Jesus didn't believe that. He knew what truth was because he is truth. And that's the only way we can know what this reality is we're living in. John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father except through me. He's the way when we're confused and we don't know what reality is, we don't know what truth is, we can follow his way. He brings us life, not death, like these lies do. And he actually continues on after he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, and I will ask my Father, and he will bring you a helper who will be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. And the world will not recognize him. They will not see him, but you will know him because he dwells within you. We have been given the spirit of truth so that we may know truth from lies. That we may live in that and recognize it. But we have to do is we have to actually trust in him. Because when we lie, we're actually saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you as a creator of me. I don't trust you as a protector. I trust myself, so I'm going to make myself God. But we have to trust him. I went to this retreat with David a couple weeks ago with this author named Larry Crabb, and he gave this example, and he said that we are kind of like we're on this cliff, and it's the cliff of safety. And God's given us a rope, and he's saying, okay, you need to jump. And I was laughing because Larry Crabb was like, yeah, the rope's going to be a little bit longer than you want it to be, so you might break some legs on the way down. Because trusting is hard. But we won't actually understand abundant life until we actually jump and trust. And then once we trust, we're letting God be God. We're not using our lives to make ourselves be God. And so we are able to bear the image of Christ then. To not be the creator, but to create. To not be the planner, but to plan. We're actually able to be little Christ. We're able to be Christians and bear truth. As opposed to bearing the image of Satan with our lies. I don't know. I, th I think that for me, this idea of us being able to bear truth, we actually get to live in this reality of truth. We get to live in a reality of freedom where we get to be like, I'm me. And we get to be okay with that. And we get to see lies as lies because we have stepped into this new reality. I had this image because yesterday was the first day I had to scrape my windows because it got all icy and stuff. And as my windows were defogging, it was like, okay, I can actually see like what I'm about to run into. I can see the cars around me. My reality of truth was opening up. My counselor the other day as well, had, I was leaving and he was just saying, Kirsten, I hope that you can believe that you are not a second-hand citizen. 
And me hearing those words and being able to say, okay, that is what I have felt oppressed by for years. But I can look at that word and say, this is a lie. Because I am a citizen of the kingdom. I could call it out. Because I was living in this reality of truth, knowing what truth was. And then we can live in a reality of truth with a community. As opposed to just kind of wondering, okay, I don't really know what my friend is thinking of me. Or is she talking about somebody else? Or talking to somebody else about me? We're actually able to live in this reality where we believe each other. And where we can journey together. And make sure each other are not falling into the trap of the devil as well. So that we can live in a reality of truth with one another. So we know why we lie, Satan. We know ways that we easily justify ourselves into lying. We know that the reality of truth brings us freedom, brings us the way, the truth, and the life. So what we need to do is we need to set up protection for ourselves against Satan. I mean, we're told that this battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the authorities of this dark world, and that we are to buckle the belt of truth around our waist to protect us. So a couple tangible things, ways we can protect ourselves beforehand is, is first to choose truth. Psalm 119, the psalmist says, Keep me from this way of deceit. For I choose the way of truth. We need to choose truth and to trust in him that he is God and that we get to bear his image. Second thing we can do is we can meditate on truth. We're told that all scripture is God-breathed, useful for rebuking, teaching, correcting, and training in all righteousness. So scripture is God-breathed and God is truth. We see scripture as truth. And we can live our life by that. And if we meditate on this truth, it begins to fill us. And if the overflow of our heart comes out of our mouth, it is truth coming out. And we are able to know truth versus a lie. Third tangible thing you guys can do is to speak and live into the words you speak. Um, will you put up Matthew 5 for me? Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount continues on as we've been talking about redefining these commandments and he says do not you've heard it was said to the people long ago do not break the oaths you made of the Lord but I tell you do not swear at all do not swear by heaven for it is the throne of God do not swear by the earth for it is his footstool and do not swear by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king do not swear by your head, because who of you can make one hair white or black? But simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. He was, Jesus was talking to a group of people who would swear by Jerusalem, which meant like maybe or whatever. And the only time they actually really meant what they said was when they sweared by the name of God. No, well, that's when we're partnered with God. And Jesus is saying, you're partnered with me all the time. You are representing me all of the time. So when you say, yes, you're going to do something, do it. When you speak, you need to speak truth. 
because you're representing me. Another way we can speak truth, and this is one of the things that I think is one of the most fun parts about being a disciple of Christ, is that part of our job is to bless people and to ascribe worth to each other. My core group last week fell into about 20 minutes of us just encouraging and giving worth and affirming one of our friends. And it was one of the coolest things ever to tell her how much she meant to us, how God had used her to change us, how beautiful she was. We watched the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, come from our mouths onto her. And that's going to be my challenge for you guys this week. It's going to be awkward, maybe, at first. But if it's your core group or your group of friends, sit down with them and tell them where you've seen God work. Tell them how beautiful you think they are. And if you're the one being talked to, don't say, no, it's not true. No, I didn't do that. Be quiet. Let God speak truth to you. When we choose to live in this reality of truth, we're free. When we choose to live in this reality of truth, we are able to look at these Judases in our life just like Jesus did and love them and forgive them even while they are lying to us in our face. We're able to give up our desire to be God to manipulate situations to make ourselves look better, to hurt other people, but instead to give them worth. The only way I can really describe this feeling of being able to not lie about who you are is we were doing this um, Bible study, and this guy was reading the story of Jesus and his disciples on the boat, and there's this big storm that happens, and um, this guy asked us, he said, okay, what are, you, what are you doing? Imagine you're on this boat. What are you doing? And the first thing that came to my head was, well, I have a big bucket, and I'm trying to get all the water out. I'm trying to be like God and protect the boat, take charge of it. And he said, okay, no. What you need to do is you need to look at Jesus. Imagine he looks at you, and that Jesus says, come and sit with me up here. And being able to live into this idea of me just sitting with Jesus, no matter the storms going on, no matter what is happening, has given me this just breath of calmness and peace. Because I trust that he is truth and he's taking control of it. That my lies don't have to cover my sin. That my lies don't have to cover my distrust, but that he is. So my prayer for us is that we are not bearing false witness to our neighbors, but that instead we are bearing witness of Christ to everyone around us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are here, and I am thankful that you are a spirit of truth and that we can trust in you to teach us, to guide us, to be our life and be our way. God, I pray that you continue to protect us from the devil's schemes that we are not um, 
having to fall into these traps, but we are able to live in your truth. God, you are good. I thank you for tonight in your name. Amen.